Mindfulness Mode 347. Technology is here to stay. And so I think we need to figure out how to coexist with it and also how uh, we can learn to use it in ways that nourish us and bring us back to ourselves. Welcome to the Mindfulness Mode podcast. I'm Bruce Langford, your host and creator of the podcast, a podcast where you can reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. And that's because I interview people from all walks of life who use mindfulness in one way or another. If you could share the show, that would be great because that helps us keep Mindfulness Mode on the air. Have you ever thought of launching your own podcast? That's something that almost anyone can do. And I want to tell you that you will need to do some research and figure out how to do it. One of the things is you'll need a host, a place to upload your episodes. And Podbean is where I upload mine and Podbean is wonderful. The cost is reasonable. They're so helpful. They're built specifically for podcasters and they've been around for 10 years. Like I said, the pricing is super competitive. It's $9 a month, no matter how much content you upload and they have great stats as well. You can help support Mindfulness Mode and get a month for free with my affiliate link. So just go to podbean.com forward slash podbean MM standing for Mindfulness Mode. On another note, I just finished meditating this morning and I really enjoy meditating with the Muse headband. It gives immediate response to what my brain is doing. It gives me feedback right away, whether I'm relaxed completely or whether my mind is kind of working on overload. You're going to hear from the inventor today. So I'm really excited to share with you that Chris is with me. He's one of the inventors of the Muse headband and without further delay just sit back relax and enjoy today's interview with Chris Amone. Hey Mindful Tribe this is going to be an exciting interview because I'm here with a guy who has helped create a meditation tool which you're going to be hearing all about in this interview. I'm here with Chris Amone. Hey Chris how are you doing today? Are you in mindfulness mode today? Uh, you know, I, I, I try every day to be in mindfulness mode, but as we know, it's always a practice. It is for <laughs> sure. Yeah. We're uh, always to be here. Well, that's, that's good. I'm so glad to have you with us today. And, uh, before we start talking about your company and exactly, uh, what you've done for meditation in the world, uh, I just want to share a little bit uh, with with Mindful Tribe about you. And uh, this is what I've got. Chris Imone is an inventor, an engineer, and a visionary. The Muse brain sensing headband for meditation is a creation of the company he co-founded called Interaxon. Chris's creative and design practices span many fields, including architecture, alternative energy, augmented reality, imaging, music, and robotics. Fueled by a master's level education in engineering science and computer science from the University of Toronto. So this is Chris. This is what he's all about. I can't wait to talk with you. But first, let's, let's talk about mindfulness itself. What does mindfulness mean to you, Chris? <laughs> that's a <deep> question <laughs> yeah um 
Yeah. So for me, mindfulness is about a few things. Um, it's primarily about awareness. Um, and uh, it's about being aware of as much is of what's happening in your experience as you possibly can. Um, and so there's, I guess that's what I would call mindfulness. And then it's different than the practice of mindfulness about how you cultivate awareness. Um, but, uh, and there are the, the ways in which I believe or understand that you cultivate awareness, um, you know, um, really help to build a lot of the characteristics that we associate um, with mindfulness that we're looking for, like reduced emotional reactivity, um, better focus, um, greater sense of ease in life. Um, but yeah, for me, it's, it's really about um, expanding awareness. Well, you've been involved in a lot of different kinds of creations and inventions. I know that you were involved in uh, some installations at the Toronto Science Center. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what you, what you put in there? Yes. So I had to think back because we've done a few things with the Science Center. Um, but um, the one you're referring to, I believe, is, is the water instrument. Right. That is installed out in front of the... Uh, so the, the, the Science Center in Toronto... Um, beautiful place um, in the front of their building. They've, they've kind of landscaped into a, kind of an explorational park uh, that's open 24 seven for, you know, people in the area to come and explore. Um, so myself and uh, a professor from the University of Toronto I was working with for many years, uh, we created this uh, amazing water-based musical instrument out in front of the building. Um, and so it's, it's kind of just like an organ um, except instead of pressing keys on a keyboard, you interact with streams of water uh, that you put your fingers in. Uh, and then by diverting the water flow through a sounding mechanism, you actually produce the sound. Um, but it's very much like having a grand piano or an organ in the middle of a public park. Um, and it, it brings play and water into something that people can share because it's creative and it's artistic and it's music. Uh, so, you know, part of what really inspired us is, you know, we found that with this kind of interaction, we really had a cross-cultural, cross-generational, um, you know, magic happening between people. Uh, and that was really beautiful. Oh, beautiful for sure. And I've been to the Science Center many, many times because my son from an early age declared to us that he was going to grow up to be a scientist. And he's still determined. He's 16 now and he wants to uh, be a physicist. He wants amazing. to. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And, and I have to speak from personal experience that having a place like the Science Center was truly in instrumental in my own, you know, childhood inspiration and passion for these things. Uh, and so I would go and my parents would drop me off there and I would just hang out in the science center oh, wow. all day. And that's, that's, you know, was part of my path. So thank you yeah. <laughs> Ontario, well, for having an amazing place like that in Toronto. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. We've had a membership for a long time. And even though we're from, you know, London, Ontario, which is about two hours away, we still got down there as often as we could. And now, now Ben says he wants to be a theoretical physicist. So he's moved into more specifics about what he wants to do exactly. He's crazy about math, crazy about science, and he just loves digging into it every day as much as he possibly can. So, Oh, that must be 
pretty fun for you to experience as a father. Absolutely is. Yeah, for sure. Well, we had the 2010 Olympics in Canada, in mm. Vancouver, and there was this amazing thing that you had a hand in where people could affect the colors on the CN Tower and the colors in various places across Canada based on what they were thinking and how their mind waves were influencing it. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so that was a... Uh, hmm. Taking me down memory lane, I love it. Um, so that that was a like, really exciting opportunity we had to create a brain technology-based interaction um, at the Vancouver Olympics. Um, and so, um, you know, part of the Olympic Games is uh, an opportunity for the country that hosts them to showcase um, aspects of their culture. And so the Ontario government had built um, a place called Ontario House where they hosted performances uh, at night. And then during the day, they had a few um, key experiences uh, from a few different um, organizations uh, that allowed people to engage in uh, some of the uh, aspects of Ontario. Um, this was run by the Ministry of Tourism. And so um, what we created, uh, which was totally mind-blowing to work on, uh, larger than life, uh, was this connection between someone who was in Vancouver um, to, through thought alone or through mind activity alone, engage with Ontario landmarks. And so, you know, using your brainwaves, you would actually affect the lighting on the CN Tower, which um, the system they have there can actually produce quite a fantastic display of light. Um, so you're able to engage with this, and you're also able to do the same thing with Niagara Falls uh, and the Parliament buildings in Ottawa. And so, you know, the CN Tower, for example, as you became, you know, really engaged in thought, like your, you know, brain was working extra hard, you, you would have uh, the, the, I don't know if you, under, you know, the, the CN Tower has this kind of like bulb shape in the middle, right. and there are lights that go all the way around. And so as your brain would work, you know, it would spin faster and faster with the level of brain activity. Uh, you know, so we'd have people do things like, you know, count backwards by seven from a hundred, um, you know, or, you know, in, you know, try to in, remember, you know, all the things that happened in, you know, the last day or anything where they could really get into uh, like an intense mental process. And then the, the other end of the spectrum was to get people as relaxed as possible. And, you know, this is something they would do. We'd guide them through a meditation practice, basically. And when you did that, all of this spinning would sort of slow right down. And then there'd be these rays of light that would start moving up and down the tower. So it was, it was amazing. We made, I think, everybody very dizzy in the condos uh, surrounding the CN Tower. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and you could have a similar engagement with, uh, with the other landmarks. Niagara Falls was definitely uh, the, the most grand uh, and we actually control so there's spotlights that actually illuminate the falls uh, from a distance right um, and these are sort of you know you know very old technology um, you know that were used for you know things like lighting up uh, you know from surveillance perspective from airplanes and that that kind of uh, technology and what we did is we controlled the, the color of the lights because there were these theatrical gels that were sort of robotically lowered down in front of the lights to change the color. 
And so then by modulating your mental state, you'd sort of by light by light go through and choose the colors. And then you'd sort of, you know, paint your, you know, mental style on the falls for everyone to see. So yeah, fabulous experience. And, you know, to do this from across the country and we had a live video feedback from each, each landmark. And so you could see like, as it was happening, you know, you could even call up your friend in Toronto and say, Hey, yeah, can you see the CN tower? Like that's me. <laughs> <laughs> that is so incredible. So incredible. And then you move from that to using the technology, which can grab the details from your brain activity and help you with meditation. What made you decide to do that? And what was that transition like moving into that field of uh, specifically meditation and creating the, the Muse device? Yeah, so that was, that was interesting. Um, <clears throat> so, um, you know, first and foremost, you know, cre creating something where people could experience their mental activity for the first time was, is always a magical thing for people. And so, you know, based upon the success of that um, experience that really motivated us to continue and, it, and to discover, you know, what this really had to offer, um, just because, it's, you know, the, there, there seemed to be so much potential just with the curiosity that would come with putting this thing on and for the first time going, whoa, like, what can I do? Like, how can I affect my, my brain, my experience, my consciousness? You know, what is all of this? And, and what are the handles that I can pull on to change that experience? And so we went, you know, th through kind of this, you know, expedition of, you know, looking at all the different research, um, you know, around brain training to video gaming, uh, you know, you know, studying, you know, the consciousness, you know, everything that, that, that we thought, you know, might, you know, uh, you know, lead us to the right application of the technology to get it out there. And uh, it was, uh, it was, a, you know, in that process that I discovered meditation practice. And, and it was because someone came to me and, you know, basically said, have you thought about using this for meditation? And like many people, I, had no idea what meditation was. And I, I had some, you know, preconception of what it meant to meditate, you know, and I was like, Oh, well, yeah, I guess we can help people just, you know, just sit and relax. Um, and yeah, we can measure alpha waves and you know, that's easy. We did that for the Olympics. We, you know, no problem. And so I said, I better research this meditation stuff, you know, because it was in my list of things I could possibly do. And then I started reading and it was like opening Pandora's box. I was just like, Oh my God. You know, the, this thing, these, these things that I've been working on my entire life, suddenly, you know, I'm, I'm seeing all of the things that I was looking for in a practice that's been around for a couple of thousand years. And I had this kind of experience of like, why didn't anybody tell me about this? You know, I would have like, I would have, would have wasted so much time like searching for my own answers, uh, you know, in terms of how we uh, develop and work with our own consciousness um, and how that affects our experience. You know, so I came to this from a, a wearable computing perspective and that's, you know, what I did in, in sort of my academic life. Um, but, you know, when I actually got in there and started learning about this, it was very clear to me that, you know, this was the way that uh, it had to be. And at that time, you know, I think um, mindfulness, you know, wasn't a buzzword yet. Right. Uh, and so the the awareness that people had was quite low. And uh, and so 
uh, there, there definitely was this process of having to work through and, and sort of convince ourselves that, you know, this esoteric thing that, um, you know, we were trying to do actually might have traction with people. Um, you know, but like, you know, many of us who have gotten into meditation practice, mindfulness practice, um, the, the rewards of the practice itself, you know, really starts to make it clear to us how important it is to, uh, you know, you know, every human being to have this kind of tool available, uh, and to understand it. And so the more we went down this path, the, the more and more passionate we were and confident that regardless of where things were at in terms of the, the, the sort of the consciousness of people of meditation, that this was something that was important to, to do. Well, it's very important. I know I, I ordered mine a couple of years ago, and this is what it looks like, the Muse meditation device. And wow, I, I, was, I was amazed when I first started using it, you know, how it could give me that instant feedback on what my brain was actually doing. What kinds of response did you receive when you first put this out to the public? Definitely, like it was all over the place to be honest. Yeah. <clears throat> and I, th I think, um, you know, from introduction to where it is now, I mean, there was definitely, uh, a, a, like, um, uh, and there was an evolution. Mm -hmm. And so when we first, uh, announced that we were building the muse, we didn't actually have a lot of clarity about how it would actually manifest in terms of an application, um, and how that would work and, uh, and, and how it would help people. And so um, there, there was the process of uh, resolving what it was once it went out there, you know. So I think initially this was a brain fitness tool and it was a tool that people could use to develop other applications. Uh, so there has been and always, uh, you know, will be some kind of, uh, you know, way for developers to use the Muse for their own applications, for people interested in doing neuroscience research or education, for them to use it for their purposes. And so we weren't sure if it was really going to be about the applications that people would build, you know, or about what it is that we were, were offering. Um, and so, uh, you know, it, I would say it took us a couple of years to resolve it down to the simple tool that people will discover it to be now. Um, and, and also along with the sort of evolution of, of mindfulness in, this, this, in, the, in our culture, um, muses experience like a similar growth. Um, as people start to learn about mindfulness and understand uh, the value that meditation has, you know, it's it's quickly becoming not weird at all, you know. And true. Um, so, you know, um, we've always found that uh, Muse really hits home with a group of people, you know, from the instant they try it. Um, and then there's a, a much larger group of, of people who, um, you know, really benefit from the right kind of introduction. Uh, through very simple, uh, you know, step-by-step -step courses uh, to help get one started. And I think as we, um, uh, you know, grew with Muse, uh, we sort of, you know, learned its role as being a, a gateway um, to meditation for a lot of people. And so, you know, and through that, there's the, there's the obvious need for some education to come along with it to help people understand what it is and how to get started. Um, but, uh, but yeah, but overall, I mean, something that measures your brainwaves, you know, and being able to see your brainwaves for the first time and understand that, that, 
you know, you, you know, consciously have an influence on how you work is totally fascinating. And so, you know, I, I don't know of many people who've, you know, received a muse or purchased a muse who haven't been like, wow, this thing is totally far out, you know? And so, um, that's, and that's been awesome. Oh, that's great. And does it continue to evolve or is it pretty much the way it will look in like three or four years from now? That's a good question. Um, we're working hard on a lot of things. Um, and so, uh, I guess we'll have to see what comes out. Um, but there's, we have a bunch of things in the pipe that we're really excited about. Um, and so it's, uh, it's as a small company, I think, uh, um, you know, I often get very impatient, <laughs> Okay. Yeah. you know, because you have all these amazing ideas of things that you can do, but, you know, to do it right, uh, requires you to build all the right infrastructure. Um, mm -hmm. it, re it requires you to iron out, you know, um, everything from supply chain, you know, to customer care, um, you know, to, uh, the way we talk to people. Um, so, uh, so we've, we've come a long way, uh, as a company and, you know, we now, I think we have a really great, uh, team and we're all super excited for the things that we'll be, uh, coming out with one. I'm not sure if you've seen them, but we, we launched a pair of sunglasses. No, uh, I haven't seen them. I was just going to ask if you have other products. So yeah, let's so, hear about this. So in the fall, uh, this, uh, uh, last year, we, we launched uh, a pair of sunglasses, uh -huh. which to um, any eye would look, unless you sort of look on the inside and you see like a, you know, a bunch of like, you know, things that look kind of electronic, right. uh, you'd think that this was just a regular pair of sunglasses. But what we've done is we've embedded the Muse technology into it. And so these read your brainwaves and you can use them in the same way that you use the Muse. Uh, so we actually did this in partnership with uh, a company called Smith. M many people might know them. They kind of, you know, were the go-to uh, goggle company for, you know, for skiing and snowboarding. Uh, but okay. they also make really fantastic eyewear. Um, and so, yeah, it's been a, a pleasure to work with them to produce, you know, what, what really is a, a sporty pair of sunglasses that I just use them as my sunglasses. Uh, uh, and then being able to just use them to in your, you know, your inner work and your mindfulness practice, uh, as you go, you know? So I think, um, the muse is a, li a little bulkier. Um, yes. and so being able to fold these up and put them in your pocket is really, is really awesome. Well, that is awesome. That's, that's extremely cool. So when it came to making the app, to building the app, did you farm that out or did you do it within Interaxon? Yeah, we've done everything in-house um, and we, we take uh, the experience of it very seriously. Uh, and so we've just found that we want to keep close to the things that uh, we're most passionate about. Um, so, uh, and that was part of, um, you know, the, the, this, the, um, let's say the work and the time that was, that's been required to get us in the shape we, we're currently in uh, and to build uh, a really great uh, development team. Um, to be able to execute on the things we're dreaming up. Uh, so yeah, so we do everything in house. Um, that's great. That's great. What was the biggest stumbling block in getting this product out, getting the muse out there? Oh, wow. Um, there are so many. <laughs> Were there? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, deciding to build a physical thing and bring it to the world is pretty audacious. Um, yeah. 
you know, I dare anybody to try and it's, it'll be a life journey for you. And I, if you, if you feel like you got it in you, I'd say go for it, but be prepared to, uh, uh, to, to really work your butt off. Um, but, uh, so yeah, so I think, you know, the, that was probably for me, one of the biggest mental stumbling blocks was just believing that we could do it. Um, because there are just, there are so many, uh, difficulties with, you know, having to create something and distribute it. Um, you know, there's tremendous investment that's required. Um, and you know, there's a lot of risk with making a, a, a very high tech electronic product because there's lots to go wrong. Sure. Um, and you know, measuring EEG is notoriously hard. I mean, the, the brain signal is like a thousand times smaller than your heartbeat signal. Uh, and so it's incredibly sensitive to, you know, how you wear it, how it works, noise, you know, the whole works. Uh, and so, uh, you know, people who buy consumer technology are not very tolerant to things not working um, because, you know, we're just surrounded by stuff that just works, you know, and is very, very simple to get started with. And so typically brain sensing technology has been something that's been in a science lab of some kind and it has trained professionals who are there to make sure like every electrode has low impedance uh, and they they can troubleshoot any electromagnetic interference uh, and they can you know work through temperamental software uh, but a consumer device has to work out of the box you know whether you order it from amazon or buy it from best buy or whatever and you, you know you take it home and it's just got to work you know and if you have to fiddle with it for 10 minutes that's like that's too hard yeah. Um, you know, so, you know, that the, you know, that was a mental block and, you know, we worked through all these things and it took a long time. Uh, you know, I had to spend a lot of time in, in China with our partners there who are, who do the manufacturing, uh, had to spend a, you know, a lot of time actually like going through an incredibly difficult design process to have a device that fits almost anybody. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say as an achievement, as a, as a, as a, as a piece of hardware is, is that, it, it fits almost anybody uh, and it picks up great brain signal data from almost anybody. Uh, and that was extraordinarily hard because we're all shaped totally differently. Um, and so it needs to be both, you know, kind of like, like a hard device because it needs to be robust and it has to be, you know, affordable to make, but also it has to be equivalently soft so it can conform to the shape of the human body. And so, you know, figuring out how to do that was quite an adventure. And I would say bravo because, you know, I've had mine for over two years and and I got it and put it on, just followed the brief instructions and it just worked right away. I was, I was there to go, wow, th those are my brainwaves. And, and I just moved from there. So way to go for creating that kind of product that you're describing. Have you had any challenges with others trying to rip it off, rip off the technology and create their own? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we we have seen a number of um, what seem like Muse knockoffs, mm. um, and you know they've copied different aspects of the tech that allow it to work. Um, and I think you know uh, beyond that, this, this is for the hardware, and then also uh, in terms of an experience that helps to assist people in meditation practice. Um, we've we've seen a similar kind of uh, effort just because you know, mindfulness is becoming extremely popular and present in people's minds. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, we haven't seen anything which, uh, comes very close yet, but I mean, the, uh, that'll happen. 
Um, but it's a, it's something that, you know, we continue to work on it. So um, I think we're pretty confident that we'll be able to, to, um, you know, um, keep, keep, keep our unique flair, let's say. Um, and, you know, the, the, to do something like this really requires that you, you know, you engage in your own practice. You know, it's like, you know, you can talk about mindfulness, but it's, that's totally different than actually practicing it. Uh, and so, you know, we've stayed in the practice of Muse, uh, and our thinking continues to evolve. And, you know, and I think that's, that's really important. You know, it's not something that we say, okay, we've done that. Um, you know, we're still, we're st we still feel like infants and we still feel like students of this whole experience. And, and honestly, like, you know, we're working with an ancient technology and we're trying to, uh, figure out how, you know, how can we, you know, broaden its appeal to, um, you know, our culture, our technological culture, um, and, but also not trying to break something that works very well. And, you know, this is something that I don't think we'll ever put down our tools because we're always, we're always learning and uh, we keep a very open mind and we challenge ourselves a lot. Um, and, and, and we also, you know, we get criticism uh, as well, um, you know, from people who really think that technology has no place in meditation. Um, so, yeah, so there's a very, is a very interesting uh, journey there uh, that I'm personally like extremely excited to be a part of. Uh, I think it's really important. Technology is here to stay. And so I think we need to figure out how to coexist with it and also how uh, we can learn to use it in ways that nourish us and bring us back to ourselves uh, as opposed to, you know, what it, what it seems to do a lot of, which is uh, take us away from, you know, who we are and what we feel. And that causes a ton of stress for us. Oh, I can believe it. Well, as far as meditation goes and, and you personally, let's talk about what meditation is like for you and what you've learned about meditation. Do you use the Muse on a regular basis? Yeah, I'd say I use the Muse about 20% of the time in my practice. Um, I've had to use it a lot um, just because of um, what I, I what we do here, right? Um, yeah. But it's it's one of those things where uh, you know, where I'm in my practice now is I, is I recognize uh, the, the benefit of the different kinds of practices and not all of them are su supported by Muse. And so I, I find it interesting to do some of my practice with Muse uh, and then do other practices as well. Um, and so it's, uh, it continues to be interesting. So, you know, um, when you get familiar with a technique, um, and it's kind of like walking, you know, you know how to do it. Um, and so I have that level of familiarity with the, 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 the thing that, me, that Muse actually measures for me. Um, but it's always, there's, there are always things there that make me curious. And so working with people who are extremely well practiced in meditation, you know, that's something which, you know, seems to be interesting for, for, you know, you know, I think one question we have is, you know, is Muse for a beginner or is Muse for someone who is very experienced uh, or, or can they, it, can it address both kinds of people? And I, you know, my experience is absolutely, you know, someone who's had a ton of meditation experience will find Muse interesting, you know, as, as, as long as you sort of come from the standpoint of, of, you know, being curious about what it measures and, and going into the, that investigation uh, for yourself, and it always bears fruit.
Um, you know, the, the, the feedback, you, you have a, you know, simple instructions about how you use it and how, what the feedback means. Uh, and so that takes you so far. But then the next part of it is discovering that, you know, the, there are natural fluctuations in our brain waves. And some of them we have a conscious relationship with and others we may or may not. And exploring that boundary uh, and exploring the things that you sort of be like, what caused that? You know, what caused the wind to start blowing so much? I'm not sure. Um, and I, I found that that is, has always been an interesting journey to try to like, you know, be with that experience and investigate that and be curious uh, of that. Uh, which is really carries with the essence of, of what mindfulness uh, is for me. Well, very interesting, very interesting. And, you know, as I mentioned to you uh, before we started the interview, I have worked in bullying prevention for a long time, and I'm very interested to know your take on this, on how how bullying can be prevented if you have some kind of a sense of mindfulness. And I shouldn't really say prevented. I mean, it's, it's more like how you would deal with it differently if you understand mindfulness. Do you have some comments on that, Chris? Yeah, I think I would have a lot to say about that. Um, but let me just see. I'll just I'll just drop in the bucket and see what comes out. Um, so, uh, you know, like I said in the beginning, uh, mindfulness for me is all about awareness. Um, yeah. And a big part of that is uh, is self awareness. And I think, you know, definitely for an individual who um, you know might be a bully, for example, um, growing some deeper self-awareness, um, you know, really, uh, provides an opportunity to understand what's happening. Um, and you know, the, what your actions, how your actions are being received, what those actions are and what they're related to in your own, uh, emotional experience. Um, so, um, I think being aware of something is, is the first step, um, you know, in change. Um, you know, certainly, uh, you know, if you, if you can't see what's happening, there, there can be no interest in being any different, you know, and then seeing, seeing what's happening, you know, provides an opportunity to, uh, to become interested, uh, and motivated to, to do things differently. Um, that in itself doesn't allow you to change necessarily, but it certainly can make you aware of what's happening. Um, and so, uh, so I think that's like a really important uh, first step is just, you know, expanding some inner awareness. So you can actually see, you know, what's happening emotionally and, and, and how it's manifesting in action, um, even as a retrospective. Um, so you and I think, you know, doing any kind of inner practice, you know, out of context uh, where you're just with yourself, um, you know, things things uh, can be perhaps simple enough that you can it's easier to recognize these things. Uh, and so certainly the things that come up in, in meditation seem to be better received. Uh, you know, you can hear them more clearly. Uh, and so that's, yeah, really, really great uh, first step in that. Um, and I think from, you know, someone who is being bullied, it's a similar thing is, uh, is important and, it, and it's both an inner and an outer awareness um, that comes into play. Um, and so I think, um, you know, typically in a situation, uh, the bully and the bullied, um, you know, on both ends of it, there is an emotional react reaction, which, you know, has the, the, uh, the effect of, you know, generating an, an automatic response. 
you know, uh, and this automatic response is something that typically reinforces a pattern. Um, there's a pattern involved and there is little agency and, um, and so I think the, the same thing is true. Understanding how you've been triggered and the actions that are manifesting because of it um, can help you see what's happening more clearly. Um, and so, um, you know, I think that's, you know, on both ends, that inner awareness is very, is very helpful to recognize what are the patterns at play. Um, then, you know, change is like, how do we, how do we get out of that is, an, is another uh, question uh, again. But I think that, you know, the, the practices that come uh, um, through mindfulness that we practice in mindfulness are incredibly valuable and effective in giving someone the, the opportunity and capacity to, to start to make a change, you know, and this is, this is the sort of the whole, you know, respond versus react kind of um, perspective. Um, and I could dive into more of that, but I've, yeah. I feel like I've been monologuing for a while. <laughs> well, well, I'm, I'm fascinated and I want to thank you for sharing your insight. And as we move on in the interview, I just want to ask you five quick answer questions. We're going to need sure. to zoom through these with just like really quick answers. Who's one person who has influenced mindfulness in your life, Chris? Um, So, um, one person, <laughs> hmm. I would say before I really had an understanding of what mindfulness was, I, I'd have to say my mother had the largest influence, uh, in my life. Um, She's an incredibly mindful person. And, uh, and I think, you know, discovering the practice of mindfulness later in life, I was um, able to recognize, um, you know, how these qualities uh, had, I really got a head start uh, through her example. Uh, and so, yeah, so without knowing what mindfulness was, I think, uh, and, you know, this is, this is how it works. You know, we, we learn we learn, you know, through relationship. For sure. How has mindfulness affected your emotions? Uh, so I'm, I, I would say I'm a much happier person now um, as a result of uh, being introduced to mindfulness and practicing. And I think this really comes from, um, you know, understanding myself that much better. And, you know, understanding how to live in a way where I, I, I don't have as much conflict with myself uh, and also uh, have the capacity to really understand how other people um, are experiencing things. And so, you know, this makes for a much, much more uh, frictionless flow in life. Uh, and that's, uh, it feels great. For sure. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness practice. <laughs> So the breath is fascinating. Um, I've, I've recently uh, played more with sort of, um, uh, let's say, intentional breath work where, mm -hmm. you know, breath is sort of an energetic um, tool to influence your nervous system. And, but I think initially in, a mind, in my mindfulness practice, just 
recognizing that there is an automatic function of your breathing and a conscious um, aspect of breathing. And simply watching your breath really isn't so easy. And there is an, a really amazing rabbit hole there uh, just to discover what it's like to try to simply observe the breath and not influence it. Um, and so it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful biofeedback tool. Um, and so Muse is a biofeedback tool, but actually meditation, there, the practice of meditation is there's like deep biofeedback um, at work, um, you know, because of the things that we use to anchor our attention. Very interesting take on the breath. I really like that. If you could recommend a book related to mindfulness, what would that be? Ah, geez. So uh, I would say the the book that um, has been the most profound for me uh, on an ongoing basis uh, was a book written by Ken McLeod called Wake Up to Your Life. And it's, uh, it's, a, quite a complete meditation handbook that goes through many, many practices. Uh, and so I would say if, you know, if there's someone who really wants to go deep uh, and has, has a sort of <clears throat> uh, their intellectual styles that of understanding how things work, uh, mm-hmm. I have not found a better book uh, by a long stretch. Uh, so it would make any engineer happy uh, to have this, this kind of deep explanation of the practices and really how far you can go with it, you know, so it it doesn't just scratch the surface. It, it tries to go all the way. Well, uh, I'll put that in our show notes at mindfulnessmode.com for sure. And all of this information, uh, the last question I ask is, can you share an app which helps with your mindfulness. And uh, so I'll ask you, and of course, we all know about the Muse app and the Muse device, but what do you have to say about that? Mm, Okay, let's see. I'm going to meditate on this for a moment. Okay. So I have found um, using social media apps to be very interesting from a mindfulness perspective. And um, I think uh, in any inner practice, there are the techniques that we, um, we have that we use on the cushion, and then we bring the skills that we learn into life. And so it's important to have a practice field. Um, and this is where we test ourselves um, and we practice what we've learned. And so I felt that engaging with people through different kinds of social media, um, it's interesting. So yeah, I, I went through a short stint using Instagram as a practice field. Um, and it was just watching how I responded uh, and, and what my felt experience was in using it and what it was like to engage with people through it and what it was like to share. Um, so, yeah, so it, the so- social media has been a fascinating practice field for me. 
And that's a very interesting answer. I really like that. So, you know, it's been great talking with you. Fantastic learning what your insight is into all of this. How can we learn more about what you do? How can we get uh, a device for ourselves? I, I think the easiest way is just to visit choosemuse.com. Um, and there's more information there about the Muse. And like anything, uh, the best way to learn about it is to try it. Uh, and so find a friend or, um, you know, pick one up for yourself and just give it a go. We've got a great return policy if you don't like it. Um, but uh, I mean, I think, you know, the practice of meditation in many ways is about uh, becoming less intellectual about things. And it's about getting out of our heads uh, and into our felt experience. Uh, and so there is no substitute for actually just getting in and giving it a try. For sure. Well, Mark, thank you so much for being on the show and thanks for your contribution to the world for making this available. It's awesome. It's great chatting with you. Thanks so yeah, much. You too. Take care, Chris. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com and type the guest name or episode number into the search bar. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by subscribing to Mindfulness Mode wherever you listen. Maybe it's iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever. Hit subscribe and share. Subscribing and sharing helps keep Mindfulness Mode on the air. Subscribe and share, share, share. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.